Hello, and welcome to the Redemption Tempe podcast from Redemption Church, Tempe, Arizona, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. On this podcast, we cover a range of topics, including True Story Project, the gospel, and culture at large, and the occasional lesson from basketball and gangster rap. You can find more at our website, tempe.redemptionaz.com. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Redemption Tempe podcast. Uh, my name is Will Vakurvich. I'm here with Tina Dare. And we are excited to be talking about some of the implications for the book of Joshua, the book of Judges, and the book of Ruth. Um, but before we jump in, we just wanted to, to check in. Tina, how are you? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. Good. How, how has the True Story Project been going for you? Yeah, in all honesty, this is the first time that I've really read through the biblical story um, from the beginning and moved my way through the Old Testament. And, and at one point, it's kind of like embarrassing to say that, you know, but it really has shaped me so much um, in my understanding of really just what is the gospel? What is Jesus talking about when he comes on the scene? And what kind of what is my, my heritage, you know, leading up to this place and time and what I believe, um, what has gone before me and how is God shaping people? Yeah, that's really good. I think for me, um, <clears throat> two, two main things. One is uh, the intentionality with which God is shaping his people. Um, and then I guess like from that, the honor and privilege that we have as believers in joining in um, God's mission that he started in the very beginning of like, as soon as sin enters, he's on this mission to pursue his people, um, bring more people into his family from Abraham and, and, and all of that all the way through. And now we're, we're jumping into the conquest of the promised land and um, how God gives his law to shape his people. And so I think that's really cool. The other thing that's been like kind of hard and kind of humbling for me is like, okay, I'm, I'm full-time staff here. People see me on stage and like the guilt and shame of when I'm not caught up with the true story project and like, Oh my goodness, what if somebody asks me, um, do I need to catch up? You know, do I, how do I respond? Those types of things. But then realizing that the whole purpose of this project is not to be able to check off every single box on time, right? Like the whole purpose of this project is that we get to know God more, um, that we fall more in love with him, um, that we worship Jesus more, you know, these types of things. And so making sure that um, I'm not feeling guilty for not having read, but that um, I want to read because I want to experience Jesus more and more in, in my personal life. And so, so that's been like a humbling realization um, for me. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think sometimes it's, you know, we shy away from putting things on our to-do list when it comes to God because we don't mm. want it to be this legalistic. I check the box, I'm good. But really, I think with any relationship, what you value most is what you make time for mm-hmm. and what you devote really your attention and your energies to. And so having to have this longer section of scripture really to read on and then to squid through and really think through and get to that do and get to that response point and to see how it culminates over time, it's just really pushed me and made me realize how quickly in the past I would have skipped over this time or kind of like squoze it in really quick and not really taken the time for the thing that I profess to be the most important thing, um, not only in my own personal life, but also for all of the ways that I interact with the world. So mm-hmm. it's definitely been eye-opening and, and then also challenging in a really good way. And I have just experienced so much of God's faithfulness as I've taken the time to just really be in his presence through his word. 
Yeah, that's really good. Okay, so so we're going to be thinking and talking through um, three books, which is which is kind of different than what we've done in the past. Uh, and just real quick overview, super brief um, summary. So Joshua, we see um, Joshua is now the leader, and he's leading people um, into the promised land and, and into conquest to, to drive those um, those people groups out. Um, in Judges, we see the people have kind of, sort of conquered the land, and they do what's right in their own eyes. There's no king. We see sin spread. We see God raise up a, a judge or a deliverer, and there's a period of repentance, and then the cycle kind of starts uh, again and continues to spiral down. Uh, and then in Ruth, we get a glimpse of this beautiful story, uh, which actually takes place in within the context of Judges in that, that time period. Um, of this woman who becomes a widow, um, who uh, stays committed to her mother-in-law and um, moves into Israel and, and a man named Boaz who uh, actually takes them in and cares for them. Yeah. Um, Tina, what are, what are some of the initial things that stood out to you as far as implications in these three books? Hmm. Yeah, I think it's kind of a continuation of what we see through Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy as God's people is being formed. And I think something that is really um, challenging to my 21st century Western conception of sin is um, the fact that a lot of times I focus on my own personal sin and how, you know, it's only against you, God, that I've sinned. And it's this very kind of one-on-one, my own shame but we see so much of the of sin's effects on communities and sin's effects on societies mm-hmm. and how really God's judgment of sin oftentimes is judging um, an individual in order to protect the community, in order to um, protect the larger reverberations of that sin as it would take root. But then we also see that even the judgment of sin comes upon communities. It comes upon families. Um, and that's something that should, I think, has been really sobering to me in recognizing that I can't just be safe to kind of hide my own sin in my heart, but I need to recognize how my sin affects other people, but then also how it fits into the larger um, kind of corporate sin within the church and then also within uh, our society in particular. Yes, we, we had a discussion um, last night at Open Bible Study about this with the story of um, Achan. I think I'm saying his name properly from Joshua. I think it was chapter 6 where, um, you know, the people have gone up to Jericho. They marched around. They blew the horns. The walls fell down. And then there were certain things that were um, to be devoted um, to destruction. And this guy takes some of those things and hides them. And then the people decide they're going to go fight against AI and because of this one man's sin, uh, 36 people die, um, you know, the army has to turn and flee, and, and Israel is handed a, a pretty uh, surprising loss in the midst of this conquest. And, and so one of the people there was like, man, this, this is really like hard to read this and see that one guy sinned and the nation suffered. And I think that that's really, it reveals how individualistic we are as a society where um, we've totally bought into like my choices only affect me. Mm-hmm. And I think that functionally we believe that, but experientially we know that that may not be the truth. Like I am, um, you know, for good and bad, I have been impacted by the choice of my parents to be divorced, mm-hmm. right? We know that sin affects other people. Um, areas in my life that I don't 
bring quick repentance to like my wife feels the direct impact of that. You know, if I choose to be lazy instead of to do the dishes, like I told her to, which if she's listening, we had this conversation this morning, you know, that, that, that impact is there. And I think we kind of get it in those interpersonal relationships and it really does stretch us to consider what are the corporate, the communal impacts of sin at a larger level, at a communal level, or, you know, within our city, within our state, within our nation. Um, but I think that, that we see that throughout this, you know, the people, everyone did what was right in their own eyes in the book of judges and everyone suffered in different forms in, in different ways. You know, when there were, um, good leaders we see in Moses and in Joshua, the people flourish. And when there's, you know, um, negative leadership and these, these, uh, harmful leaders are put in place, people, people suffer. Um, I think it's a, you know, that's clearly a very real thing. Yeah, and I think a good way um, that the Old Testament conceptualizes it that's been really helpful for me is this idea of idolatry. And there's this community idolatry. So all of the nations around Israel worshipped these gods, and these gods required certain um, practices in worship. So we see one of the most grotesque practices that's happening in Canaan is child sacrifice and to the god Molech. And to, to think about the fact that, you know, societies and communities through all of time have um, always had idols that they've worshipped and that worship requires um, certain practices and any, any idol is going to require of us, um, in, you know, unless we're worshipping the one true God, Yahweh. Um, we're going to fall into sin as we worship um, certain idols in order to achieve whether it's success for us or some view of humanity or view of society. And I think it's, uh, we don't have, you know, we don't get our, you know, a stick out and whittle out a cow and put it on our, on our nightstand necessarily and bow down. Um, but we do have something else hanging on every wall in our room, you know, and, and uh, television, not to say those are bad, but there are, there are aspects where there are things that are pervasive in our culture, um, that are small visuals of the things that we really devote our time and energy and our worship into. Um, and that can be, uh, indicators of what our vision of the world is. And I think some of those things have been revealed more and more in this election season. And we're starting to really feel like that's really ugly, um, that we worship certain, certain, um, views of the world and of our country that we don't like so much when they're put on the grandstand. Um, but I think it definitely shows that idol worship is just as powerful today as it's ever been. Yeah. So you, you brought up the election, so we're going to go there. Um, we realize we're today's Thursday as we're recording. So two days, uh, on this side of, of the results of the election, uh, that people's views uh, are very different and um, contradictory, you know, and I think that there's a large group of people that uh, based on exit polling, how they viewed the world is, or at least our nation is that we were headed in a very, very bad direction. Um, something drastic needed to happen to bring about change and that things were kind of falling apart and now they're going to get a lot better. The other side, there's a large group of people that thought, no, things were going very well. We want to continue this. Uh, and now with the results of election, now everything's falling apart. In the book of Judges, we just see that everything is falling apart. And so I think wherever we land politically, we understand this concept of 
oh my gosh, leadership is not leading us as a nation in the direction where we want to go. What are we going to do? What does this mean? Um, but when we take the time to consider in the context of judges, this, this story of Ruth, we see this beautiful glimmer of hope, right? So in, in the midst of this evil, there's, there's violence, there's war, there's, um, abuse, there's all kinds of ugly stuff. Um, we see Ruth and, and Naomi. Um, Ruth was a Moabite who would have been seen as an outsider. Um, she would have been excluded from, from worship. She, some would have considered her, she was, she was a Moabite. She was an enemy. Um, on top of that, so we have all of these other categories, right? She's um, an outsider, an enemy. She's excluded from worship. And then we also have the fact that she's a widow, so she would be marginalized. There wasn't a lot that she would have contributed to society. She would have uh, been seen as a drain of, of resources. Um, and so we, we have Ruth, who's this outsider who's marginalized. And then we have Naomi, who's another widow, so an even further drain of resources. And they are just looking for help. Um, they're, they're looking for grace. And they turn to God's people. And then we have this, this character, Boaz who's this man of integrity. He's, he's worked hard. Um, he's, he's trying to follow God's law. You know, we, we read a couple of weeks ago about all of these laws and how you harvest and you don't harvest to the ends of your, of your fields, but you leave, um, leftovers so that people who are in need can glean those leftovers so that they can eat so that they can survive. And Boaz is implementing this. Um, and so Boaz is living this life that's devoted to the law which we would consider, you know, very, very holy, but he's also demonstrating, um, in the midst of his holiness, incredible, um, an incredible sense of, of being inclusive and welcoming mm -hmm. and, and showing hospitality to somebody that's not only different, mm -hmm. but really somebody that's going to cost him something, right? There's going to be sacrifice with this obedience here because he could have picked up those extra, whatever it was, you know, ears of corn or, or potatoes or apples. I don't know, whatever they grew. Um, milk and honey, but, um, <laughs> but he didn't right? So it cost him something and he really took Ruth and Naomi in. Um, and I mean, literally like in the most intimate way possible, right? He married this outsider Ruth, this marginalized and showed this true inclusion into God's people. And I think even in the midst of the chaos, there's still these glimmers of hope, these, these glimmers of God's goodness of his mission working. Yeah, no, I, I, the book of Ruth is, uh, I hadn't read it in a while and really just sitting in it and reading it in the midst of where we're at in the story was one of the most beautiful, just breaths of fresh air. And first of all, the fact that it's, it's this heroine story and really the hero and the main character is a woman at that time, there wasn't text like this, you know, mm. this is, I think, you know, some, um, don't if if you're a woman in our congregation and you're struggling with with just kind of reading the way women were treated in that culture and, and really trying to um, wrestle with your identity in that, let this be a source of encouragement um, and realize how truly um, subversive and powerful this was. Um, and so, yeah, just reading this heroine story. And what I love is that Ruth, who like Will said, is an outsider who the Moabites did not worship Yahweh, but they worshiped other gods. Once her husband, Naomi's son, passed away, 
Naomi was now the most vulnerable because, you know, Ruth's a young woman. She would have had the opportunity to marry, um, still bear children, carry on the line. Um, not to say that that was automatically going to happen, but there's that potential. Whereas Naomi, she's lost her husband and her adult sons. And she really is, is just, you know, she said, just call me bitter. She's mourning. She actually believes that God is judging her for some sin and, and is just, you know, kind of hopeless, but doesn't want Ruth to be drawn into that life. So sends her away. And Ruth, this outsider and this, um, vulnerable widow herself has, it's truly from this loyalty and this kindness where she first having almost nothing herself commits herself to the most vulnerable. And so we see that sometimes I think we say once we get success, then we'll, you know, once we get power, once we get, um, these different things, then we'll show kindness and then we'll extend hospitality and then we'll share that. But unfortunately the statistics are that the more money, um, we get, the less we give away. So our, whether that's tithing within the church or just in general across the country, generosity, the numbers are, are really bleak that the more riches that we gain, the more resources we gain, the holder, the, the, um, tighter that we hold on to those. And we see oftentimes the, um, the men and women that are doing the most good to care for the vulnerable are the ones that are vulnerable themselves because they have true empathy and they have relationships where they just truly love those people and are willing to sacrifice for them. So we see that it was, it was Ruth's um, courage and loyalty and character that drew Boaz to her. And when he learned about her loyalty, um, because he was faithful to God and his law, it opened up these doors for him to extend this generosity and kindness for him in his privilege and his resources. He was moved by Ruth. I think he was challenged. His faith was pressed um, to be more faithful to God in that. And, oh, it's just such a good story. <laughs> yes, it, it is. And I think that there's... Um there's this like motivating call and also encouraging hope in the fact that God uses Ruth. God uses Boaz, these regular people, right? Like these aren't Kings. These aren't prophets or or priests. This is just a guy with a field who works hard and he's well-respected. This is a woman who really, really, really loves her mother-in-law. You know, these are regular people using the opportunities that God places in front of them um, to, to leverage benefit for the common good to, to live out the life that God has called us to, you know? And so there's, I think there's significant implications for us wherever we are of being able to look around and see what resources God has given us. Um, right. One of the things that we remind our boys all the time is every good and perfect gift comes from God above, Mm -hmm. right? So every good thing that you have comes from God and that we're blessed to be a blessing. And so, um, at our jobs, in our neighborhoods, as we travel around our circles of friends, all of these things are opportunities for us to share the kingdom and also, um, opportunities for us to, to leverage our voice, um, for the voiceless and, and to, and to bless, um, others. And so I think Boaz is just a really great example of that. Um, definitely. Um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree. I think we are kind of at this uh, precipice in a lot of ways where we have made our voices loud on Facebook about what we, how we believe the world should be and how, how we believe our candidates should, um, really represent those beliefs, et cetera, et cetera. But I think regardless now, as we're 
sort of hopefully seeking restoration and healing within our country um, and seeking to reach out a hand to those that maybe um, there's been some hostility between with disagreements that we now look at one another and say, what are the resources I have? What are the opportunities I have um, financially, skills, uh, ways, ways that I see the world, relationships that I have um, that have power, opportunities to be able to um, really reach out to our local and state representatives and have a voice there, really taking, um, taking a look at ways that we can truly live out and really be faithful to the things that we say we believe in and, and, um, being, having imaginations to see what opportunities are out there and partnering with those in our communities. A redemption community is so much bigger than just friends kind of hanging out and, and talking about life. I mean, that's, that's great and important and friendship is, is, um, probably understated, but the fact that we are a community centered around, our king who is in the process of bringing his kingdom to earth and he invites us in to that um, transformative mission that he's doing and that is the center of our community that is the center of redemption tempe of the church throughout the world and all the communities that that we're a part of and so i think that ultimately is as we see moses pass along leadership to joshua we enter in to joshua now he's leading our people um um, I think um, Will has something really good to say about <laughs> the look on his face. I think he wants to he wants to say something about that piece. So I'm going to pass that over to him. Yeah, I think there there is this importance that um, we we continue to bear witness, right? As as God's people who have had some kind of encounter with this resurrected Jesus, um, that we are called to bear witness to what He has done. And that doesn't necessarily mean to out-argue someone or to prove a point or to do something really weird, but it, it simply means to, to bear witness. This is what I have seen. This is what I've experienced. And this is how it shaped me. And one of the things that we see is that um, in God's people, when they are fair, faithfully bearing witness to their children, things go well. Mm. And when they're not, things go bad. And so thinking creatively you know, not only as parents, but I, I think as parents with our kids, how can we help to shape our children so that they also are seeing what we're bearing witness to? You know, we see that um, the the horrible, um, horrifying, atrocious way that Judges ends in chapters 19, 20, and 21, hmm. um, we realize, and you guys may remember this if you were around for our Judges series, Ricardo did a phenomenal job preaching about this. Um, we realized that when that happened, Moses's grandsons were alive. So that yeah. doesn't put them, you know, that far down in history. That's relatively close to the plagues, the Exodus story. I mean, this is his grandkids, right? Yeah. And, and so we see that we, we have to continue to display what God's kingdom is like, um, because people forget, right? We tend to drift away from God rather than we don't just like happenstance drift towards God. And so we need to continually be bearing this witness in the way that we act and in all the things that we do in all of life, just like Boaz demonstrated in all of life and the way he harvested his field, the way he was respected at the city gates, the way he welcomed the outsider, all of these things, you know, we're called to those same standards, um, especially as 
you know, we have a lot of young families here. We have a lot of people that are um, moving forward in their careers and gaining leadership positions and, and different aspects of authority. But then I think there's also this this realization that, you know, in Judges, we see a generation kind of go astray and then God raises up a judge to help correct it. And, and there is something in, in listening to people who have other voices, whether it's, you know, age, um, ethnicity, gender, whatever, mm. because they can help see some of the blind spots that, that we are just immune to in our own life, uh, that we consistently overlook. And so while there is this call of, of the older generation and of people in leadership to continue, um, you know, to, to teach the younger generations, there's also this aspect of people who are other than us can see blind spots that we, um, that we don't. And so being able to listen to one another, um, in helpful and, and loving ways, only strengthens the church. Yeah, absolutely. I think that phrase, the refrain in Judges that we hear time and time again, in those days there was no king and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And I think today in American culture, it's kind of like, oh, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Yeah, sounds right. Mm-hmm. I think like I, I talked to many people whose worldview, um, who believe, they believe it's a non kind of religious or belief oriented worldview, but the way that they see the world is that everyone just does what is right in their own eyes. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone, our sexual ethic is as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, our ethic with technology and the way we spend our time and the way that we use our money is as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. But I think what we don't understand is that first of all, there is an authority that is above it all. And he is the King that has shared his power with both the rulers and the Kings alike. And, and, all of his image bearers. And we will answer to him one day. He is our judge. And um, when he shared that power with us, that ability to to be able to cultivate the world, you know, he, he commanded us to um, respect and respond to his authority and his invitation, not to do things the way that we wanted to. And, but I think secondly, we don't realize that we were created in relationship to one another and to our creation and everything that we do has implications. Um, and I think, I think that's just one of the biggest kind of lies that we can do whatever we want to do and just kind of be tolerant and, and nothing's bad is going to happen. Um, and I think in judges, we see that the worst possible thing for the people was for everyone to just do what was right in their own eyes. And even these judges, Samson is, is not the little, the <laughs> little boy hero that we hear yes. in Bible stories. Um, Samson was a bad dude and made some terrible decisions. It was really immoral by, by our standards. But God, I think God was in effect saying that I give authority, um, and that is good. That is a part of how I created um, the world to work, and that through that authority, I extend grace to my people, even in the midst of their sinfulness, in the leader's sinfulness, but that that is better than than essentially what would be anarchy, which is everybody just kind of doing what they want. So I think we need to be humbled by the fact that regardless of the leaders in our workplaces, um, in our churches, in our families, um, and beyond, that uh, we need to be humble to say, like, God has called me to submit to these uh, leaders, even if I don't agree with them. I need to be creative in ways to be faithful to the gospel while still recognizing that this is a gift, and that if it was up to me and my own sinful heart, it would not be pretty. Okay, Tina, I have a question for you that we haven't um, scripted or practiced, so I'm going to put you on the spot. So I know that um, you love the book of Ruth. You've done a lot of work with the book of Ruth. My experience uh, is that typically the book of Ruth is like for women's Bible studies to read. Hmm. 
Like it, like it's the go-to, like Samson is like the go-to for little boys, right? Like <laughs> yeah. the book of Ruth is the go-to for like women's Bible studies. What can the men of our church learn from the book mm. of Ruth? Oh, that's a great question. I think, um, hmm. I think there's a lot of things. Um, ultimately I think the book of Ruth is this great kind of picture. Uh, I think it was in the Bible project video, which if you haven't been keeping up with those, they're amazing for Joshua judges and Ruth are really helpful to keep helping us stay in the story. And what the narrators in those videos were saying was that the narrator of Ruth, who we don't actually know who the author was, but that he never, he or she, um, never mentions God and, and God's sovereignty and God working. And we, we don't see that very often in other books. You know, it's like God spoke to Joshua, God spoke to Moses, God, God's law was this or that. But in this short story, we don't see God explicitly being mentioned in his work. And what they kind of summarize from that is that this is a picture of the way that God works through his people and how, where his sovereignty meets our decisions and our faithfulness and our obedience. And so it's this um, really beautiful picture of God is going to, God is going to accomplish his mission. That is something that we know that he is sovereign over and he is going to use his people to do it. Not because of anything that we have to offer, but because he is committed to that. And that is the promise that he made to Abraham that he has continued to make. And so we know that he's sovereign over that. But we also recognize that that our decisions and our faithfulness and obedience to God in that is the um, oftentimes the extent to which we get to be kind of enter in and, and be a part of that. Um, and experience the blessings of God to extend to others. So it's it's kind of an antithesis to Judges where we see the evil and the sin corrupting what God, God is still faithful to work and he still is, is offering grace upon grace, but we see just the really heartbreaking effects of sin um, where we see in, in Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, we see three characters who all believe um, to some extent in their situations, even though Naomi is feeling this really deep bitterness and feeling like God, you know, is punishing her for some reason. And, um, we see in Ruth kind of this, almost this like really pure, maybe naive even sense of just like, no, I'm, I'm in this thing. Um, but in all those things, we see three characters who are just willing to be obedient to God and willing to be courageous in that obedience. Naomi is like, Hey Ruth, kinsman redeemer. I know my story. I know my heritage. This is what we need to do. And Ruth is like, I'll lay at his feet. Sure. Let's do this thing. And Boaz is courageous to look past his, um, his really, really what we see is this corporate idolatry of like xenophobia against the other. Um, the nearest, this is interesting is that the nearest kind of kinsman redeemer, um, that would have first rights to redeem back the land for Naomi's family didn't want to marry Ruth. And, you know, it's, we see that like, Oh yeah, the Moabite, wait, that's part of the deal. Yeah, no, I'm good. Go ahead, Boaz. You got this. Um, and so Boaz is courage. I think there's courage in obedience that we see in that and how, um, and how God is, is really able to richly bless his people to be a blessing when we're able to, um, creatively and courageously step out and trust God. That's really good. Um, I think maybe a, a final thought and just listening to you talk about this is so, so beautiful and so intriguing. Um, the faith of Naomi 
of like come back to my people. Like knowing that among her people there would be help and there would be hope. Mm, yeah. Like that's one of my prayers for our church. Mm. Um, and we've experienced that a little bit. You know, I'm typically known as like, if there's a homeless person, find Will. But the fact that people trust, like, hey, if you need help, like, come here. And I'm not saying this like, oh, we're this awesome church, but like my prayer is that we continue in that, that our church would be full of Boaz's, not like necessarily these great men, but like these great people who are willing to sacrifice for the other. And I think all of us could think of different um, people groups or types of people that could be considered Moabites in our culture right now. People that are other people that could be seen as enemy or dangerous or a burden or just undesirable. Mm. Um, but my hope and prayer is that we would continue to press towards uh, and ask God, like, God, how can we be Boaz? How can we be a kinsman redeemer who sacrificially includes and loves and embraces somebody um, who we're not comfortable with? Uh, because we see this continue, right? Like God gives us laws. He gives, gave his people laws to shape them towards this. And we see Boaz living this out. And uh, my heart for us is that we would just continue to press into the story, uh, um, you know, unfolding here in, in Ruth, but throughout the true story project, throughout scripture of God forming a, forming a, being a people, people, people who are blessed to be in others so that people who are outside of God's family would be welcomed into God's family. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah, 100%. And I think, um, I think it's important in this, you know, my heart is drawn to it. I'm sure a lot of people's, it's like, we only get to read Ruth for a day. And it's like, dang it. Why can't we just like <laughs> spread this out? I want to stay in Ruth. But I, it was really, um, intriguing. Will and I were at a conference recently and we were really addressing some of the issues of racial reconciliation. And a lot of our African-American brothers, brothers and sisters were there. We were able to hear from each other and really hear directly from how they're feeling in the midst of this. And I think, you know, when things get off the news for a while and it's no longer the hot topic, it can tend to pass and be like, okay, cool. You know, this, the whole Black Lives Matter thing, it accomplished what it's doing. We're good. Let's move on. Like, let, it's time for Ruth. And I think that's, you know, we've seen the civil rights movement happen. Like, we figured this out. Like, let's move on. It's time for Ruth. Like, we're in this now. Like, God's redemption, God's redemption. But what we see over and over again is that the people of God like spiral into that, as Ricardo said during the judge's sermon, the, what is it, bad, worse, and worser. Um, and God is gracious and lifts us up. And we see these cycles of that in our own lives and communities. Um, and I think it's important to recognize that through Joshua, um, we see in Joshua the last leader who really heard directly from God and led his people and was this sort of, you know, we see Moses and Joshua, and we don't really see that again, that type of really close communion with God that continues in leadership until the new Joshua, Yeshua, um, which is uh, Jesus. And and then we also see this the allusions to that looking forward in Judges where it says there was no king, there was no king, there was no king. And we're going to move into pretty soon in the biblical story, um, kings being over Israel and the goodness and the brokenness that's within, within that as well. But all of this is moving in a direction. And I think that is something that we have to keep at the forefront of our minds um, as we do good things, as we seek to love love the other and all of this, is that we do it because the king over the kingdom that we choose 
values that we have been chosen for, that we live within is King Jesus. And he is the one who defines the terms and the law. And he is the one who has drawn us into his courts to be close to him, to be not only servants, but friends and has shared with us his mission and tenderly cares for us and empowers us with his Holy Spirit to do these things. And that was what all of this was pointing towards. Boaz was this picture of this redeemer that would come and marry this outsider, just like we were outsiders. And God married us and brought us in and that that is what empowers us and and that we should seek to be in the king's courts first and foremost and to know him um, and to let that uh, slowly empower us um, that we're still in judges, you know, and we're in the already not yet. We experience Ruth, but we experience judges. And, and that is what I think a lot of people in communities um, in the church, uh, whether it's the black community, they said, you know, a lot of people want to be in Ruth, but we still feel like we're in judges. And and I think we need to we need to hold on to that already not yet and really um, just be close to our king in the midst of it. That's really good. Thank you, Tina. Hey, if you guys have any questions about the True Story Project, uh, we have a True Story Project table. So uh, after church, during any of the services on Sundays, feel free to stop by, ask questions. If you guys are finished with your first squid books and need a new squid book, make sure to pick one up. We have resources online um, and we have really been enjoying doing these podcasts and hearing feedback about the podcast and hopefully you guys are enjoying them as well. Uh, We're happy to, to hang out with you. Hope you guys have a great day. Thanks, guys.